Well, hello and welcome to episode number 432 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and in this week's show, it looks like the final curtain call for Doncaster Sheffield Airport. A major revision to British Airways, Avios points are awarded, and some Heathrow Airport workers are planning a three-day strike. In the military news, Nigeria places an order for 55 new aircraft of varying types. And joining me this week, <laughs> honestly, I missed you the last two weeks, Nev. I really have missed you guys. How are oh. you, Nev? <laughs> well, we've missed you as well, Carlos. It's been, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, emotional without you. But um, no, here we are again. Uh, how's your week been then? Has it been a good one? Yeah, it's been actually, it's not been too bad, to be fair. I've had uh, quite a busy week. I've done had another one of my weeks where I've done about six million miles, driven mm. halfway across um, the UK, delivering, you know, dog food and this, that and the other and everything else that goes with it. Been to Yorkshire today. Yeah. Uh, actually, to be fair, Nev, the weather has been quite nice today. A bit different to this morning when I was on the way to work when it was um, four degrees Celsius. Oh, chilly, mm. chilly. Yes, well, I've had a very satisfactory week, I have to say. It was my birthday week, and although this wasn't my birthday present because I bought it for Mrs Nev, we went to Stockholm to see The Script, that rather good Irish band. And uh, it was one of those venues which was quite small. It was a hotel in the middle of Stockholm called Burns Hotel. And uh, it was about a 1,200 capacity venue, I would say, so we were all standing for the whole time. But we were about three or four um, rows from the front, which was phenomenal. Um, I couldn't hear anything at the end of it, obviously. <laughs> the, uh, the front of house PA was uh, was going some, but uh, what a great band. Absolutely superb. And the first time I've seen them, first time Sue's seen them as well. Uh, it was the start of their European tour. Uh, and they're going through Stockholm, Oslo, Copenhagen, Hamburg, Munich, uh, Stuttgart, all, all over the place in the next month. So that's that's really great. And then on the way back, had a very nice chat with Kyle and Jess on the BA 320neo on the way back. Um, and we might even have a couple of new listeners as I was a bit loose with my uh, Plain Talking UK business cards. So that was good. Uh, really great service from the guys there. And we got home last night at about half past six. So just a, a literally a flying visit to Stockholm uh, just for a day and a night. But um, really, really worth it. And um, back to work next week, unfortunately. <laughs> so, uh, actually, I was going to uh, ask you, Nev, when you're, when you're at, the, at an event like this, when there's big audio equipment and stuff like that, obviously this is your... This is your industry. This is what you know and what you, you, you've known all your life, pretty much. The trouble is that there is me going, oh, I wonder what, uh, <laughs> you know, what, what monitor stack that is and what those wedges are down there, you know, the sort of thing that you, I would do if I was going to a cinema. I wonder what projector they're using, you know, this sort of stuff. But uh, um, So, no, it was great, fantastic gig. I, I, we weren't quite the oldest people there, but we weren't far off it. Um, but that doesn't matter, I don't think, you know. I think uh, if you can enjoy music at any age, um, then I mean, actually, the band appeals to quite a wide uh, age range, actually. But uh, no, really, really good. So uh, if you haven't heard them before, check out the script and uh, you might uh, might be pleasantly surprised. 
So uh, more to the point, Nev. How were the flights? Would be obviously you said the crew were very, uh, very no, good. But just uh, superb. I, I take Absolutely it you were you were three twentying all the way there and back. Uh, three twenty CEO on the way out and a Neo on the way back, and uh, very nice it was too. The Neo is a very quiet aircraft, I must say, um, and especially on takeoff and the initial climb phase, it, it's a lot quieter than the uh, the current engine. Uh, aircraft but uh, no that was uh, really enjoyable really good um and you know as you may know carlos we've been bumping into people that <laughs> seem to know nick anderson so i'm on the plane oh, talking no. to one of the crew and she says oh yeah i used to work for the same company that nick used to work for and um we uh you know often would go down to uh, lagos on on the 340 you know so yeah i do know nick i'm going oh not another one so, you know, we're going to have to have a special segment, aren't we? You know, people that know Nick Anderson. <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole entire new podcast. You know, people who know Nick Anderson, the podcast. Uh, that that fellow needs bringing down a peg or two. He's far too famous for He's my life. He's far too famous, yeah. I've got to yeah. say. But, yeah. If, if you're listening, Nick, um, can we uh, have an autograph, please? Yeah, just... Um... Anyway, we are obviously missing two members tonight. Uh, unfortunately, Matt can't be with us tonight because he's, he's very busy looking after, or he's dog-sitting, actually. He's been dog-sitting all week, so he's um, busy dog-sitting and taking dogs out for walk and et cetera, et cetera, in the rain. And uh, Armando can't be with us because he's, well, he's Armando, isn't he? He's too busy flying here, there, and... Well, everywhere. But uh, we have got a nice full chat room this evening. Just going to have a quick run through who's joining us in the live YouTube chat room this evening. Uh, kicking off, as he does every week, because he's in there bright and early. It's Richard Adams. Hello to you. Uh, Mazus, Hello to you, Mazus. Good to see you in there. Uh, we've got Dirk S. Hello to you, Dirk. Uh, Neville Bounds is obviously in there, because he's got his blue spanner of doom ready. Uh, Bill Aronic. Hello to you, Bill, as well. Uh, Captain Cruz, scrolling down the list here, make sure I don't miss anyone else out, and uh, welcome to one and all for joining, and thanks for joining us this evening as well. I've been absent for a couple of weeks, as you all know, I've had uh, a busy start to uh, to November, or an October as well, end to October and busy start to November, um, but uh, I'm back anyway for a while, I've got one more Friday off in December uh, when I've got uh, another party that I'm doing but apart from that I'm back in the hot seat this week uh, standing in for Matt uh, trying to press all the well we we shan't go there Nev we know what the beginning of the show was like but uh, anyway if you are listening to our glorious voices via the realms of the audio show and you want to see us uh, on the YouTube page don't forget to check out our YouTube page uh, look for us on there Plain Talking UK and hit the subscribe and don't forget to click the bell icon to be notified when we are live so you can join us in the chat room uh, with everyone else who's joined us this evening in there. But, uh, yes, so we've got lots of news, haven't we, Nev, to get through this evening? Plenty, yes, a lot of news and some uh, new, new, a new segment uh, of the show to talk about later on as well. So stay tuned for that. Uh, that'll be very interesting. I hope you'll agree. So, yes, uh, yes. So uh, I suppose you better... Um, I better hit the uh, commercial news button, haven't I? And hopefully, yes, hopefully, that works. it'll work.
So kicking off this week's first news story then, and uh, this one comes to us uh, from the independent.co.uk, and it's a story that we've covered uh, for quite a uh, well, quite a few times actually, haven't we, now over the few weeks, all about yeah. Doncaster Airport, and it's really sad news this is. And uh, the last flight was actually today, I did hear that on the, the radio today, the crew apparently were in tears as the last flight out of Doncaster Sheffield departed uh, last flight out of Sheffield uh, departed on Saturday the 31st of October to Katowice in Poland signalling the impending permanent closure. The move was announced in September despite former Prime Minister Liz Truss vowing to save Doncaster Sheffield Airport from shutting its doors for good. The airport was uh, also recently voted the best in the UK in a poll by which uh, travel based on people's experiences traveling through the airport during the peak season. Staff have been sharing their dismay with one worker uh, posting on Twitter on the 1st of November that that, that was their last shift and they were saying it's utterly heartbreaking to leave and say goodbye. Holidaymakers were also frustrated by the closure with one telling BBC look north I'm disgusted what a waste of a good runway. Uh, although there have been initial hopes of a last-minute takeover to save the airport, owners Peel Group have said that we're currently not in possession of what could be considered a credible offer. A petition was set up to save Doncaster uh, Sheffield Airport, uh, which has reached 105,000 signatures, and the impact on the South Yorkshire community is expected to include the loss of at least 800 jobs. Labour MP for Sheffield Healy and Shadow Secretary of State Transport Louise Haig said the closure is truly a slap in the face to hundreds of people whose jobs currently hang in the balance. Haig added that the uh, government has repeatedly refused to meet with the mayor of South Yorkshire with uh, the other regional leaders to discuss uh, discuss what other options are available. Uh, the mayor of Doncaster, Ross Jones, tweeted uh, the day before yesterday. He said that we are committed to continuing to work through every stage of the process in our efforts to save the airport, he added. Uh, Doncaster Council would begin the process of initiating a CPO or compulsory purchase order, uh, which would be a longer term option due to it being open to legal challenges and taking around two years to put into motion. Uh, the airport itself is officially set to close following the final flight, which arrives into Doncaster Sheffield uh, tomorrow, which is Saturday the 5th of November. That will be the final flight arriving into uh, Doncaster Sheffield Airport. And I have to say, Nev, looking at the pictures which were on uh, BBC uh, News this week, which I've watched on TV, it's by no means a small, insignificant, airport well so you know building as such <laughs> well the you know the runway like this this is the former raf base finningly if you recall and it's nearly nine thousand five hundred feet long uh which is uh, a quick calculation uh two thousand eight hundred and ninety five meters by 60 meters wide so it's actually a very big runway uh you could get plenty of big stuff off of there and going long distances and at a time when we're always complaining about a uh, shortage of runway capacity. Now, I know it's not in the southeast, but nonetheless, uh, I think this is a, a, a big deal. Um, same situation with Manston Airport. I mean, I'm, we're, we're talking about Manston for other reasons now, of course. But, you know, again, superb facility there. 10,000 foot of runway, roughly same as uh, Gatwick. Um, so, and of course, these big facilities um 
well, once they're decommissioned, they they very rarely come back. I'm thinking about places like Plymouth Airport, for example, in, in the southwest. And of course, all this real estate possibility for, well, it's going to be housing, isn't it? Or commercial oh, yeah. property or whatever it is. I, I'm sorry, I, I just think the, the priority is all wrong here. Uh, it's difficult enough as it is to get... Uh, decent runway uh, availability here in the UK and to close this facility and to, to actually, you know, I, I don't think they've tried hard enough. I really don't. I think there's 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 some investors out there that could make a real go of this, especially when you've got people like Wizz Air um, and those folks, you know, who are offering, you know, good value flights to, you know, the former Eastern Bloc countries and all the rest of it. Uh, again, would be a great facility. Uh, actually, the the transportation from uh, Doncaster Airport to anywhere else isn't too bad. You know, trains and buses and what have you. So yeah, uh, absolute. Um, well, it's uh, an unnecessary loss, I think. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Nev. And um, like you said, the the problem is is that we we know what will happen. There'll be developers who come in, flatten the whole lot, and um, you know, that'll be housing or industrial estate. I'd imagine it might be like what happened with uh, RAF Bentwaters oh, here yeah. in Suffolk. Yeah. You know, that when that was decommissioned uh, quite a few years ago now, RAF Bentwaters, it's a huge site, it's massive. Mm. You know, I've driven on there in, in, in the truck many times um, to collect stuff and that. Huge site. The, the runway is still there taxiways are still there and all the original buildings all the original uh, barracks buildings all the office buildings the hangars the silos which were there um which are huge silos i've got there and uh, they're all been repurposed at, yeah what about the one at um raf witten as well uh just north of huntington on the way to um st ives you know that's a, 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 again another former i think whether it's a u.s base or an RAF one but again huge runway facility and all the rest of it um, mm. there are there are possibilities of having capacity around the UK that I just don't think are being explored possibly uh, in a positive way you know so but there we are that's how it is just looking in the chat room uh, Nev Richard Adams is saying in there that Plymouth Council supposedly uh, reopening the airport uh, airfield but it's been supposedly for several years. I know. Yeah. Again, superb facility down there. Really nice regional operations. Um, could have got, you know, not, not the hugest of runways, obviously, but, it, you know, certainly good enough for um, European operations and for domestic UK operations uh, rather than taking the train. You know, those, those long distance you know, fly, uh, train journeys from, if you want to go to, from Plymouth to Aberdeen or something, mm. that, that's quite a slog on the train. Whereas a flight is probably an hour and a half or something, you know. So, But there we go. Oh, that's, well. uh, that is we'll see what happens in the future. Hopefully I, something yep. good will come of it, um, all being well. Nice flight school, training school. That would be a good one. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, Nev, you've got the next story. And uh, now, Nev, I know you you're a big um, fan of of, uh, of Avios points, and I know that I've recently used some for my flights to the states for next year, um, which was the first time I've ever done that, which is quite interesting to do that. But uh, what are your views on this story, Nev? I look well to this. again. I think we're going backwards a little bit, but let, let's have a read of it and see what it says. It's on the independent.co.uk. 
And it says that the loyalty points collected by many British Airways passengers could be drastically reduced next year, a leading business travel expert has warned. On a London to New York round trip, the minimum Avios points earned by an economy class could drop by 30% or possibly much more. Rob Burgess, who's head of uh, uh, editor of Head for Points website, spotted the revelation in an announcement by BA sister airline Iberia. The Spanish carrier shares the Avios frequent flyer currency with BA and the online message from Iberia promises a new way of earning Avios. The airline's Iberia Plus scheme previously awarded Avios points based on the distance flown, adjusted according to the category of ticket and cabin. With immediate effect, the key variable on the Spanish airline is the amount spent on the ticket. So frequent flyers who've achieved elite status, which is based on the number of flights taken in the course of the year, will continue to earn Avios at a higher rate than other travellers. Uh, going forward, Iberia passengers will earn five Avios for each euro spent, and higher tier travellers will earn up to three additional points per euro. Sylvia Moran, Iberia's client loyalty director, said, we think this is a more fair and transparent way to reward our more loyal members. The Iberia announcement includes a quote from BA's head of retail and customer relationship management, Ian Romane, uh, revealing BA will follow suit next year. He said, we congratulate our colleagues at Iberia for introducing this change and we look forward to joining them in 2023. If the Iberia conversion rate is adopted and sterling euro exchange rates remain largely the same, for each £1 spent on uh, British Airways passengers, uh, they'll earn six points or up to 10 points per pound for higher tier travellers. Passengers will also get points for money spent on seat selection and baggage, which are currently not taken into account. Uh, he says that the move will unlock even more opportunities for our members to earn uh, uh, Avios when they fly. But Mr Burgess, who's the editor of Head for Points, uh, ridiculed the claim in an article. He said, I challenge anyone to give an example of how these changes will unlock even more opportunities for our members to have your when they fly. When you have to resort to peddling claims like this, which literally don't make any sense, you know you've lost the argument. Crucially, the spend your points are based on uh, does sorry the spend your points are based on does not take into account taxes fees and charges which can comprise a large part of the cost of a ticket so on the cheapest ba flight from london gatwick to new york jfk costing 361 pounds return 44 percent goes on government taxes including uk air passenger duty and airport fees that's quite a staggering amount isn't it so if six avios I hope you're keeping up here. If six Avios are awarded for each pound spent, the economy passenger would earn 1,212 Avios, which is down 30% compared with the current minimum of 1,736 based on the same flight. Spending on the uh, seat selection and or checked baggage would increase the points under the new system. Now, call me cynical, uh, but fiddling around like this... Um, rarely is an advantage to the passengers in my experience um you've got to tick a lot of boxes and whilst they might um you know you'll see the headline being you know of great benefit to the passengers um often it isn't and i i think that you have to go into a lot of uh, detail to to make sure you've uh, qualified for all these things but it'll be interesting to see how this pans out uh, next year um i'm wondering whether Iberia announced it and BA were a little bit on the back foot 
was when they said we congratulate them for announcing this uh, and we'll be joining them next year I wonder whether they were uh, arm locked into <laughs> to go ahead with it perhaps i don't know we'll have to see but um it'll be interesting to see because the, the, obviously the amount of flying i do at the moment it, it's quite a significant amount of avios that you can earn but uh, let's see what happens uh, when they bring this in next year so what, what sort of difference would this make to to you the points that you, that you are currently collecting then nev with your flight? well i collect points with the american express card that i use primarily for business travel but for other bits and pieces as well and also if you fly on ba as well you get more avios points that way once they start to put a cap on it or they start to change the way it's calculated um then it can be quite a hit. I mean, you just need to do more flying. But it also means, though, for the people that don't fly as often as I do, you know, perhaps those people that fly a couple of times a year, maybe just see friends or a holiday, that if the reduction is this amount, it's going to be significant. Um, mm. So, and you'll never get into any side, got a side of um, good method of earning. That's the problem. So, yeah, I, th I think... Um, fiddling around with this sort of thing is is never a great thing because um you think why haven't they done it before what <laughs> are people earning too many avios points for their liking i don't know but we'll oh. have to see how it, how it pans out but i'm a, i'm a little bit skeptical but i i you know I, i'm happy to be corrected if it turns out to be marvelous perhaps, perhaps they're running short of avios points now because because you've got them all ah uh, well that's it you see that's it. That's right. <laughs> you've emptied the Avios bank, Nev. Yeah. The BA have got none left. That's good. Good point. Yeah. So, yeah. So we'll see. So the next story is coming to us from the Sun. It's always a good uh, form of. Uh, is that go to aviation? Go to aviation is the Sun totally. UK dot yeah. UK, and uh, this is something actually. I mean, I do it, and I know Nev does it, and I think pretty much all of our listeners and everyone who watches the show does it. Stunned passenger stopped by crew because he took photos on board the aircraft. So a man was left stunned after he took a picture during his flight, only to be stopped by the crew while disembarking. Jeremy Dwyer from Seattle was travelling with American Airlines last week when he took a photo of the cabin. However, he claimed that the crew then stopped him from leaving the flight until he showed them the pictures that he'd taken. He later wrote on Twitter, Honest question. Can a crew member physically prevent me from getting off the aeroplane until I show them the contents of my phone? Then they wanted to see the last three photos to verify that he didn't take a photo that contained them in it. He added... I was off the plane and the flight attendant and the captain prevented me from going further down the jet bridge and then brought me back onto the aircraft and took the phone out of my hands. He said American Airlines later got in touch with him to apologise, adding that crew are not allowed to touch his phone. An American Airlines spokesperson said someone had reached out to learn more about the customer's experience. It's not the first time this has happened. Other people shared stories on social media as well. One person said it had happened to him with a different airline and the crew insisting him on deleting the photos that he'd taken during a flight. He was just taking photos of the cabin, nothing else. A frequent flyer and blogger Matthew Clint was kicked off a United Airlines flight back in 2013 after taking photos of his seat. Hmm. 
The photo policies are mainly found on American Airlines, uh, but Brits are maybe affected too. It's in-flight magazine. American Airlines said the use of small cameras or mobile devices for photography and video is permitted on board, provided that the purpose is capturing personal events. Any photography or recording of other customers or airline personnel that creates a safety or security risk or that interferes with crew members' duties is prohibited. Everyone is advised to ask before taking any pictures and video on the plane that may feature other passengers or crew. Mr. Bounds. Uh, I have one word, and the word is discretion. Crew discretion. We had something happen on our flight back from Stockholm, Arlanda, yesterday, actually, and it, the crew handled, I'm not going to say what it was, but the crew handled it perfectly because they are experienced crew and they use their discretion. And what happened wasn't actually um, allowed, shall we say, but the crew used their discretion to minimise any problem. And that's what it's all about. Uh, yes, there is the rule book, obviously, but then there's... Um, as Martin Brundle would say, uh, for, the, for those who don't know, Martin Brundle is a former F1 driver and now a commentator for Sky Sports. He would say in this situation, someone needs to take a sensible pill. And I think um, so often in life, generally speaking, not just in aviation, um, I, I think someone needs to use their discretion and, and be sensible about it. Um, escalating these situations is never good is it it never ends well and here we are talking about it and potential some poor publicity for the airline C completely unnecessarily so as well yeah i was going to say as my laptop goes into fan mode um i was going to say Nev, i mean you look on on youtube all the bloggers and vloggers that are on youtube doing um videos all the time you know I mean, you know, I'm not going to mention any names. There's hundreds of them out there. But, mm. you know, there's a few of them that are quite prolific, quite um, frequent vloggers on YouTube that video pretty much everything. Passengers, crew, seats, everything like that. And um, they're still doing it. They're, yeah. they're not being stopped. No, and I think that uh, this is... Um, you see, this is what's happened with the the smartphone generation isn't it um and i i think i think that if, if you are sensible um th then there are no problems here at all but I, I i we weren't there obviously so we can't comment on it but it, it just seems to me that you've got to uh when you're dealing with a situation where where you are the potential offender or someone who has been offended as it were um you know, I, th I think just people need to be sensible about it. And as John Jester says in the chat room, discretion requires common sense, and, and that isn't allowed. Uh, <laughs> he may have a point. <laughs> so I know it's something that could be up for discussion for quite some time, I think, when it goes to th with things like this. I mean, everyone takes pictures. We all take videos. I you know I take videos, you take pictures, and I've I've never had any issues all the years. That I've Do you remember doing. that situation? I mean, it's not quite the same thing, but I'm I'm talking about the the, the discretion thing again. Do you remember that thing happened it, it happened in the Jersey Airport lounge when we were waiting to go back to the UK, and I decided to uh, intervene a little bit just just to be helpful. Um, but obviously, some people can't be helped. But it, it, it those sort of situations, it's just kind of. 
I don't know. The, the trouble is, you see, we're, we're in that we're in twenty twenty two where everybody is offended by something, <laughs> yeah. um, and it's social media and mm. it's escalation and it's just there's no stopping it, is there? Sometimes, no. but um, but no, I I like. Uh, traveling with an experienced crew that use their discretion if something happens which is not not quite within the rule book but they've chosen to ignore it or just to let it go because it's the easiest thing to do uh, for everybody's benefit so yeah just reading in the in the uh, chat room nev um neil lamborn says he's just got back from poland yesterday had a bit of a bumpy landing had people crying crossing themselves screaming and then clapping on the landing <laughs> Oh, it sounds like it's probably uh, one of Captain Al's landings, I, I would venture to suggest. A Ryanair one, I don't know. Um, no, Nev, you've got the next. Uh, you've got the next story, and uh, it's all about. Um, well, it's it's well, it's back on the pilots' contracts thing. Proposed contracts for American. Well, yeah, this is on simpleflying.com, and uh, it says that the uh, Allied Pilots Union has rejected the offer from American Airlines for its pilots to receive a 19% increase in pay over three stages for the next two years. This, is in return, means that the airline will need to reconsider a higher offer to fend off the struggles set out by the global pilot shortage and increased demand for uh, air travel post-pandemic. The board decided to reject the 90% offer um, by 15 to 5. With board spokesman Dennis Taylor's commenting, uh, Americans management is focused on keeping pay increases as low as possible and has ignored uh, crew scheduling changes that the union claims will reduce the number of cancelled and delayed flights. Management's failure to invest in a pilot contract that levels up to meet passenger demand only creates more uncertainty for the holiday travel season and even next summer. This isn't the first airline to feel the pressure of the demands of its pilots, though. With rejection from United Airlines, close to 10,000 pilots at the offer of 14.5% over 18 months. In a statement released by the Airline Pilots Association, 94% of the 9,980 United pilots rejected the offer on the table from United. Whilst Delta pilots voted unanim uh, unanimously to authorise a strike if no deal was reached with the Atlanta-based airline. The last major pay rise at Delta occurred in 2016 and negotiations had begun prior to the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. However, as aviation came to a halt during subdued demand, negotiations started again in January this year. Even Southwest pilots have taken to picketing at their Dallas Love Field Airport, even though federal law prohibits, it, prohibits this. These pilots stood in the hot sun, the protest including up to 1,300 pilots from the airline, highlighting the overall industry demand for better pay for the current high demand in air travel. Together, this identifies the pilots of uh, the biggest four airlines in the USA, standing firm on their expectations and remediation for their expertise in the industry. Well, um, now I don't know much about pilot contracts, as you can imagine, but I would have thought that um, all of these folks have probably had to take a hit um, in the past. I know, I know some UK uh, airline pilots certainly have um, uh, in order to assist the company to get through some of the more difficult times. Now, um, there is an unprecedented demand for travel. No two ways about it. Uh, certainly, I mean, Stockholm's not a very busy airport, but Heathrow certainly was again this week, uh, as it is on, on most weeks. Um, so um, 
I hope they can solve all this without resorting to strike action, you know, on an ongoing basis, because again, that's going to give the airports and the airlines even more problems. But uh, it just goes to show you, doesn't it, that uh, I think there has to be some give and take on, on both sides, probably. But generally speaking, some, some fair play has to take place here. Yeah, I, I just, it doesn't inspire the youngsters, Nev, to want to, um, you know, no. get into the and industry much. Again, I was talking to a crew member on the way out um, to Stockholm uh, this week and uh you know she was saying it it's you know it's the, the hours are, are pretty brutal now um and i was just thinking about that sometimes i feel quite tired if i've flown twice in a week even short haul but then these folks are doing it you know they're doing four sectors a day five sectors a day maybe um even on short haul hops with early starts late finishes and if you have a, you know, recalcitrant passenger or some problem, you know, with the aircraft or it goes tech or, you know, you, your day gets extended or you end up hoteling overnight somewhere where you didn't expect to be, you know, it's it's pretty hard work for everyone, you know, the, the flight deck crew and the cabin crew. So, um, you know, the, these folks, all of them uh, that operate the aircraft work extremely hard. So uh, remuneration needs to be in proportion to the effort put in I, I would say but then i'm as i say i'm not a not an accountant nor am i an expert on uh, <laughs> airline pilots contracts either so the next story nev and um this might shock you so i hope you're sitting down okay so this comes to us from simpleflying.com and uh believe it or not the airbus a330 made its first maiden flight 30 years ago this week good lord 30 years I never, never believed that. No. So the uh, Airbus A330 was and is the, an aircraft that pioneered the European plane manufacturer's success in the wide-bodied market. And this week marks the 30th anniversary of its maiden flight. The A330 was the company's first long-range twin jet, allowing Airbus to offer longer-distance city pairs like Beijing to Melbourne, London to Tokyo. It was also the first aircraft to operate on three different engine types, with over 1,500 A330s built, and several loyal customers like Air China, Turkish Airlines and Delta Airlines, the aircraft's legacy that will live on in aviation history. The A330 is a wide-body aircraft developed by Airbus back in, 19, in the 1970s. Its conception came after the European manufacturer's first airliner, the A300, was introduced, which was already set to pioneer a large family of aircraft. In 1973, Airbus developed a longer-range yet smaller version called the A310, I remember that one, and uh, focused on the single-aisle market shortly after with the evolution of the famous a320 family in the early 80s. Airbus decided to return to the wide-bodied market and the manufacturer proposed the Air 2 aircraft, the A330, a lengthened version of the A300, and its bigger companion, the A340, the four-engine jet that would replace the 707 and Douglas DC-8s. By early 1986, Airbus Supervisory Board approved the development of the two aircraft and the company could save around uh, 500 million US dollars due to the jets having the same fuselage and wings. Uh, further, Airbus said pilots flying on the wide body aircraft would also appreciate the uh, operate the A320 with relative and little extra training costs. 
this is the worst part of this story. Uh, the wide-body aircraft uh, were entering a market in competition with the McDonnell Douglas DC-10, which was an ugly, boring aircraft, and the Lockheed L-1011 TriStar, which was obviously the world's greatest wide-bodied airliner ever made. However, Airbus had the upper hand as the A340 and A330 offered 25% more fuel efficiency with the same range and payload as its competitors. However, the 340 was developed first as Airbus found that most of its customers at the time were opting for four-engine jets over twin jets. The A330 was Airbus's first long-range aircraft and could carry between 250 and 440 passengers, depending on the configuration. Of course, 440 never and a 330. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, the twin-engine Dash 300 version, uh, carrying 277 passengers, has an improved takeoff weight of 242 metric tons, which added 500 uh, nautical miles of range, according to Airbus. Uh, it can now fly a maximum of 6,350 nautical miles, and its latest variant, the A330-900, has a maximum takeoff weight of 251 tons, compared to the A300 and the A330's earlier version. Um, which was 8.46 metres longer than the, than the A300, measuring 63.6 metres. While the A330 succeeded, Airbus decided to re develop a re-engined aircraft called the A330neo, which we've all talked about on the show over the last few months. The aircraft type offered only the Rolls-Royce Trent 7000 turbofan with improvements to its Sharklets and 14% better fuel economy per passenger seat. The development of the newer model was to compete against the Boeing 787's regarding modern engines. Uh, while Airbus says the A330neo is still powering the family into the future with its new engine and wing technology, it has not reached, they said, the A330's level of success. This is because while most of the airline's fleets of the A330 are still relatively long, yet are young, uh, there is no need to swap out for more expensive versions. Nevertheless, the A330neo could again gain more traction amid the recent delays that have plagued the 787 deliveries. Now, mm. having flown on the 330 a few, well, a number of times with a few airlines, Virgin Atlantic being one, and um, also oh, A330 we flew with Oman Air uh, many years ago. How, I suppose it's how they're configured and it's how the seats are, I guess this, but I wasn't a huge fan. We flew, um, we flew, where did we fly? We flew in an A330 with Virgin to, I can't remember what it was now. can't remember the destination, but it was, mm. it was bloody awful. Um, <laughs> I found anyway. A lot of people like the aircraft. I mean, the Neo obviously... I'm yet to fly on the Neo, the 330 Neo. I know you've flown on, obviously, the, you've flown the 320 Neo, Nev. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, have you uh, been a, an A330 person, well, Nev? I've only flown a 330 twice. Um, once was with Emirates to Dubai in 2006 for an exhibition that we were doing over there. Uh, that was an economy. That was a, a nice... Uh, very nicely appointed aircraft actually in terms of seats and comfort and what have you uh and then the other one i went to uh when went to brazil so i flew from lisbon uh with tap portugal uh to uh, brazil 
and that wasn't bad actually um but as you say configuration is all the thing and the thought of 440 people being on the aircraft um would give me a nosebleed just even thinking about it um but actually it's been a very popular aircraft because it's been very versatile because it can handle the you know high density short haul stuff uh, as well as some you know some very good range out of the aircraft for for the long haul stuff um and uh especially with the etops certification and all the rest of it you know it can go a very long distance and now they're with the neo versions obviously they're, they're getting even more range out of it because the, the uh, uh, airframe is even more efficient so um but i i've i've quite liked it i must say sorry now i'm just reading dirk s's comment in the chat room <laughs> oh well yes. Dirk said, Dirk, honestly, shake your hand, Dirk. Dirk S says, in my honest opinion, the classic A330 versions are the most unexciting wide bodies in existence. Yes, I, I would agree with that. The, although, have you noticed, if you look at uh, if you look at a 330 on landing, it seems to be a very nose high, you know, last 100 feet before it gets on the deck, doesn't it? It's just got a very sort of, predatorial look about it um with the way that the the landing gear is is uh, cantered as well but um as i say I, i've quite liked it but um they've you know with the, the lack of the a340 now primarily because of fuel saving and all the rest of it um they've they've got to do more with the 330 and obviously the neo is, is going to do that but uh, i had not realized it was 30 years old that's extraordinary isn't it yeah, I didn't until I saw that story this week when I found it online. Yeah. I'd never realised it was thirty years old. I, I, Twenty, maybe a mm. push, but thirty well, years old. As we say, as we get older, time seems to slip away a bit, doesn't it? So, um, by the way, what are you doing next week? Are you busy at all next week, Carlos? Am I busy at all next week? Um, Have you got sort of twenty minutes free? Would you say? Yeah, I've got 20 minutes free. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Airbus wants you to design the livery for the uh, A350 freighter test aircraft. Oh. So if you, if you wouldn't mind doing that. And it's on. It's, it's true because it says it's on the uh, UKAviation.news. It says Airbus is calling on professional designers, amateur artists and students from across the world to submit design for the Airbus A350F rollout livery and is offering some unique prizes for the winning designer. Uh, the design brief gives you over a thousand square meters of creative space to showcase how the A350F benefits airlines around the world and use the very latest technology to save fuel and reduce costs. There's no limit to colors or complexity and the winning design will be adapted with the help of Airbus designers to be displayed on the first A350F. The winning designer will then be invited to the Paris Air Show in 2023 where they will be gifted a replica of the aircraft and their design revealed. In the following year, they will visit Airbus Toulouse to see their design rollout of the factory for its first flight wearing their design. But you've got to be quick. Entries must be made by the 28th of November. So don't hang about. Um, I've not even thought about doing that. Mind you, I didn't, I didn't pass my art exam at school. So I don't think I'm, 
I'm best mm. qualified to, you know, put in an entry particularly. But interesting, though, isn't that? Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd like to design the uh, the uh, the design for that. I'd um, mm. I'd go with I'd go with a nice blue sort of color. I think Nev, a nice sort of blue design, a bit like the Boeing cut sort of color. <laughs> yeah. Something well, like yes, quite. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing I wouldn't do though, Nev. What's that? Put a Zorro mask on the front of the um aircraft. Oh. Well uh, I think that's there to stay now, isn't it? Yeah, I think the Zorro mask is definitely there to stay. <laughs> so what we got for the next story. This uh this one is quite a sad story actually as well, because I've seen this on many films and many T V series that have been filmed here in the UK. Um and you probably, for our US listeners, you may well have seen this as well on uh, on some programs in the US because it has featured in quite a few films. Uh, this one comes just from airwaysmag.com. And uh, the original MK747 at Cotswold Aircraft, or at Cotswold Airport, I should say, is to be scrapped. Uh, the beloved original MK Airlines Boeing 747 is set to be scrapped at Cotswold Airport and marks the end of an era for the aircraft. The disused aircraft has sat in pride of place at the airport since May 20, uh, 2009, uh, operated in its final days by former cargo airline MK Airlines, based in Ghana. I've never heard of them, Nev. Uh, the plane is now 44 years old and has uh, had a lifetime of service. Uh, the Golf Mike Kilo Golf Alpha started service with Cargo Lux and went on to fly for airlines such as Flying Tigers, FedEx, Atlas Air, Polar Air Cargo before being uh, for entering service with MK Airlines back in 2001, according to Fresh Aviation. Cotswold Airport repossessed the aircraft back uh, 10 years ago and has been used as all sorts of things as a party plane hosting a number of corporate events and weddings over the years, although it's recently been replaced with a unique and extravagant, uh, more extravagant party plane, which I know, Nev, uh, you know all about, the uh, BA, is it the, the, is it the Nagus? Nagus one? Yes, yeah. Um, which is which they've replaced it with. The uh, decision to scrap the Boeing 747 uh, was not taken lightly, according to the statement released earlier this week, which adds that the aircraft has suffered significant damage over the years. Countless aviation fans and residents have commented expressing their grief at the news. And an announcement on the 24th of October from Cotswold Airport stated, Sadly, the end of an era as it's time for this old bird to be recycled, having sustained significant storm damage over the years and safety concerns with the fuselage. We've taken the tough decision to scrap Golf Mike Kilo Golf Alpha. So there we go. So one for the... Um, well, one for the key rings, Nev, I think. It's another one gone, isn't it? Yeah. God, dear. I remember seeing this. Uh, they've used this on... Um, they've used this on quite a few BBC TV drama series, actually, here in the UK. Um, Dirk S is saying, more airplane parts for Carlos Snatch. Wow. Very true. Very true. <laughs> but uh, have you, do you remember seeing this one, um, Nev? This was featured... Do you remember the Top Gear series when they used mm. to do a few little kind of blitzes around, yeah. around the yeah. track there? And you could see this in the background. Uh, on the program, but um, yeah, this will probably end up as um, as key rings. I'd imagine. Then. Well, as uh, Richard Adams says, MK makes key rings. Makes there we they go. Are. Brilliant. Well done. Well done. So uh, Nev, uh, we've got sad news for uh, anyone wanting to fly from Heathrow soon. More industrial action potentially. 
just in case we've hadn't had enough of it recently. But uh, on simplyflying.com, it says that ground personnel at Heathrow are planning a three-day strike uh, beginning on November the 18th. It's estimated that over 700 workers plan to participate in the walkout. The workers plan to strike for better wages and benefits, and the strike will occur in the days leading up to the World Cup, which begins on November the 20th. It's unclear if the workers plan to strike during such a busy period for air travel or if it's coincidental timing. Regardless, it will significantly impact European air transit during a busy travel time. Well, the staff that plan to participate in the strikes including uh, include ground handlers, airside transport and cargo workers employed by third-party companies Menzies and Donata. The workers' union Unite stated that the strikes would cause significant disruptions in flight schedules at Terminal 2, 3 and 4. It noted that Qatar Airways would be particularly affected by the strike as it will be operating 10 flights a week to Heathrow during the World Cup. Uh, the union noted that several other airlines will also be affected, including Singapore, Emirates, Virgin Atlantic and Cathay Pacific. The disruption will likely cause delays across the industry as many large air carriers are forced to delay international flights. In addition to regular air travel, thousands of passengers travelling for the World Cup will likely be affected by the strike. Many travellers looking to visit the US for the national Thanksgiving holiday may also find that their flights have been delayed. If these delays persist following the strike's termination effects may also be felt in the US as the week of Thanksgiving of course is one of the busiest travel weeks of the year. Uh, the United the Union has made it clear that regardless of how large the impact on air travel schedules is from the strike the workers it represents will continue to demand fair wages. United Officer Kevin Hall stated. Uh, strike action will inevitably cause disruption, delays and cancellations to flights throughout Heathrow with travellers um, to the World Cup particularly affected. However, this dispute is entirely of Donata and Menzies' own making. They have had every opportunity to make a fair pay offer, but have chosen not to do so. Negotiations are ongoing, which means that the strike may be entirely avoided if an agreement is reached before November the 18th. Uh, when asked about the effect this strike will have on airport operations, a spokesman for Heathrow told Simple Flying, we are aware of proposed industrial action from Donata and Menzies, colleagues at Heathrow, and we are in discussion with our airline partners on what contingency plans can be implemented to support their ground handling should the strike go ahead. Our priority is to ensure passengers are not disrupted by airline uh, airline ground handling shortages. Well, we all know what happened uh, recently, don't we, with uh, lack of ground handling staff baggages and luggage and um, all sort of catering, all sorts of delays and what have you. So let's hope that they can come to some sort of arrangement before the 18th of November. Um, just here in the UK, actually, we've just had a, a train strike, a railway strike just finished at the last or been averted at the last minute, mm. literally, because it was going to go ahead tomorrow. Um, so let's hope the same can happen with this if everyone negotiates and gets around the table and is sensible about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, this this will be a big effect uh, on, on those airlines, especially at such a busy travel time as well. Yes, a shame after everything that we've been through over the last couple of years, Nev, and the industry's mm. um, been hit really hard, and everything's now starting, well, hopefully starting to get back to some sort of normality as such with passenger numbers, and um, now you're going to get another knock now. Strikes. 
Why instead. can't we? Yeah, I know. It's sort of one step forward and two steps yeah, backwards exactly. all the time, isn't it? In this industry at the moment, why can't we just have two steps forward, then another two steps steps forward would be nice, wouldn't that? Just as a you know, as a concept. But there we are. Hmm. Moving on to the next story I'm trying to find a happy story here that well actually this next story is quite happy actually it is fair. Yes. Uh, this one comes to us from uh, wizair.com there we go and uh, apparently wizair have been named the global environmental sustainability airline of the year at the world aviation awards say that after two bottles of pinot grigio uh, wizair europe's fastest growing airline has uh, this week been announced and uh, global Environmental Sustainable Airline Group of the Year at the inaugural CAPA or Centre for Aviation Asia Aviation Summer and Sustainability Expo in Singapore. Uh, the airline also received recognition as the EMA or EMEA or Environmental Sustainability Airline of the Year and the CAPA Environmental Sustainability Awards for excellent recognised airlines and airports who put climate change at the forefront of their business and strive for carbon neutrality. Uh, the awards are independently researched by CAPA's analysts and carbon reduction strategists, invest global CAPA and part of the Aviation Week network, and is one of the world's most trusted sources of marketing intelligence for the aviation and travel industry. Wizair are proud, they said, to have the lowest CO2 emissions per passenger per kilometre in Europe, and they're committed to further reducing CO2 emissions by 25% by 2030. They say as part of an ambitious fleet renewal plan, the airline has been continuously adding new aircraft, aircraft to the fleet, like the Airbus A321neo, and currently operates one of the youngest and most fuel-efficient fleets in the world, with an average age of 4.6 years old. Wizair is the biggest operator of the Airbus A321neo in Europe and has one of the largest standalone order books globally of over 370 state-of-the-art A321neo aircraft, uh, which will help the airline to meet its sustainability targets. And on top of fleet renewal, the operational teams are constantly working on fuel efficiency initiatives to improve the related data science. Mm. So, I mean... You keep hearing this all the time now. Now we do stories about this all the time about uh, uh, winning awards for this, that, and the other. At the end of the day, everything still emits some sort of emissions of some degree. Yes, you know we, we've not got to the stage yet where airlines are blowing potpourri out of the exhausts, <laughs> or no. or you know. Um, I tell you what, though, aren't Wiz doing well at the moment in terms of new aircraft orders and all the rest of it? They're they're really going for it, aren't they? Big I, time. I tell you what, they've um, they've done a really good turnover in my second home, Malta. They've got a really good little base there at Malta now with flights, regular flights into there, and uh, they're oh, nice. they're po that's very popular. Um, I'm yet to fly on Wiz actually, Nev. I've never I've not had a chance to fly on Wiz yet. Have you? No, not at all. Perhaps we need to find someone that works there that, that could help us. We do need to find someone who works yeah. at Wiz. I'll, I'll I'll do some work on that. See if, yeah. See what we think that yeah. yeah. If you've uh, if you've flown on Wiz, let us know. Send us some feedback. We'd love to hear what uh, well, Wiz think, are like. I think Neil Landwall may have flown on Wiz. I'm not sure. He'll tell us in the chat room, or have I just made that up? I just thought he. I'm sure he mentioned it on one occasion, but uh, he'll tell us in the chat room shortly. 
Actually, I'm just reading in the chat room on the subject of Neil Lamont. He says they can afford new aircraft because they charge between twelve and thirty pounds to choose a seat. Ah, well, there you go. You see, mm. and he also says he flies whiz all the time. Oh, so I just can't be that bad. <laughs> yes, they can't be all that bad. I, <laughs> I'd imagine, Nev. If I had to guess, I'd say they're probably very similar to our our very own uh, Ryanair or EasyJet. Yes. Possibly, but I'd like to try it out one day. I think we should find a, a route to go on. We'll do a, a little report, shall we? We'll do a PTUK um, NP, yeah. a special NPE. Yeah, we should do. Yes, that's a good idea. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll think of somewhere to go. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if we can do. A, me, a me and Neville disappear for the weekend. I'm yeah, sure, I'm sure the wives won't mind. Oh, no, it'll be fine. No, no, they, they won't even know. Money misses. So, Nev, you, you've got uh, you've got the next story. Uh, yes. Now, here's a question for the audience. Uh, what would be your dream airline if you could design anything? That's a well, good question, question, Nev. It is, isn't it? Yes. Um, and one mile at a time are asking this question. And, uh, well, people say they want to make a lot of money, so I should probably start an airline, said nobody ever. But nonetheless, that doesn't stop people from trying to launch new airline concepts. After all, it's an industry of passion. So here's the latest questionable, perhaps, airline startup data. Uh, Beyond is an airline startup that claims to be launching in early 2023. The airline has a pretty website. So here's what the company is promoting as of now. The airline will fly nonstop from the Maldives to up to 60, 60 destinations around the globe including in Europe, Asia, Africa, and even Australia. Initial destinations will include Dubai, Hong Kong, Milan, Munich, Paris, Singapore, Taipei, Vienna, and Zurich, and Riyadh also. Missed that out, sorry. Uh, the airline will fly Airbus A321neos with just 68 fully flat business class seats in a two-by-two -two configuration. That sounds similar to La Compagnie's uh, mm. A321neos, if you recall. Um, the airline will offer baggage check-in at home, premium transfers to the airport, a special lounge and Michelin star in-flight cuisine. The parties behind the airline are the Simdi Group, which is a Moldavian company that provides products to the hospitality industry, and Arabesque, which is a UAE-based investment firm. Now, these all business class airlines have had a bit of a mixed, um, well, rev not not mixed reviews, but just mixed you know, operations, really. Some of them have not been very successful over a long period of time, and they've had to stop it because they just can't make the, the, the numbers work. Didn't we have an airline... Many years ago, Nev, I think they were based at Stansted. They operated the mm. 767 Silverjet. Yeah. Silverjet. Yeah. Silver it was one at Silverjet that were based there. Yes. And they had that, that similar idea of operating um, an all kind of business class. I think it was all business class 767 when they, um, they, they flew. Yeah. And that didn't. That lasted a few years, I think, but it didn't last for very long. And we've also haven't we had another one there since then? Um, done long haul, not yes. not, not la Compa not, not, not la compagnie, 
But there was, I'm sure there was another one, Nev. There was. And there was one, actually, that used to operate out of Manston uh, back in the day as well. I'll look that up in a minute because I can't remember what it was. I'm sure someone in the chat room will tell me. Um, but, uh, yeah, th this... Well, obviously, I hope it's successful. But the track record of this kind of operation is not great. Um, now, it depends on what the fares are going to be, I guess, and who's going to be flying them. But... Um, well, let's see, you know, if, if they are serious about it and uh, we haven't got very long to wait before they do launch it. Um, let, let's see what they come up with. But obviously with the A321neo, that is a quite a long range aircraft these days as well, isn't it? So they can they can have got the range to, to do these uh, these longer trips. Um, and with just 68 people on board, um, you know, with that kind of payload, you've got a, a very long range, I would imagine. So, um Let's see. Yeah, Neil Lamorne has just put in the chat room XL or was it June? Yeah, that's right. June. Yes. Yeah. 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 XL was one I was thinking of, Neil. Yeah. Yeah. So La, La Campagna, they're still they're still going. Nev. Yes. They are still going, yeah. Yeah, but I believe yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah mm. this this whole thing is just it's just one of the things that, that um I I just in the current climate with the way things are in the world at the moment, especially in the UK with the price of heating and all the rest of it, all our, um, you know, utilities stuff, people haven't got the money to go out and spend well, on posh flights. No, and also if they're attracting or trying to attract the business community, I mean, I know a lot of my uh, industry colleagues that, um, you know, aren't allowed to, fly, allowed to fly anymore unless there's a very good reason for it or... If they're flying, then it's economy or premium economy. You know, uh, they're not allowed business class flights, so they've got to be careful about how they pitch this. But obviously, they they have identified a, a sector of the market that is ripe for this. Uh, I hope they can make it su uh, succeed. Obviously, so mm. let's see how they do. Well, that is uh, where we bring the commercial news segment to a close. But we have got. Uh, a very special segment uh, coming up next, haven't we, Nev? What is this bit? Because we, we gave a teaser on it last week, didn't we? Oh, yes. This is, uh, well, Armando doesn't do very many interviews, but when he does, they are really good. They are phenomenally good. Um, and you never quite know what's going to be coming up. So um, I've had a chance to read the full story on this, but he's interviewing a fellow called Stuart Airy. And... Um, there was, a, I noticed there was a, a bottle of whiskey being shared between them as well. So obviously the start of the interview is is very, you know, calm and what have you. But as we get towards the end, perhaps, you know, people are being a bit more, um, how should we say, loose-tongued with what they're saying and what have you. Having said all that, it's a fascinating interview with Stuart. So why don't we play it out and let's see, uh, see what Armando and Stuart have got to say. Hey, everybody. Over the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear this interview with Stuart Airy. Now, Stuart and I were both here in Denver, Colorado at Flight Safety for PC-12 recurrent training. Um, we were actually SIM partners, and believe it or not, we it's pretty rare that you just hit it off so well with your SIM partner. But despite not knowing each other, we discovered that we both had the same approach to flying the Pilatus, the same uh, approach to safety. So we actually had a really, really good time in the simulator for the couple days and nobody ever says that. Um, we had actually just finished a simulator session when we recorded this. So we came back to my hotel, we recorded the interview in the lobby. 
So you're going to hear some background noises. Apologies for those. But um, we decided to, you know, after a sim session, uh, pop a bottle of adult beverage and uh, and just learn a little bit about Stuart, his background and his history with the Royal Flying Doctor Service in Western Australia. Something that he did for quite a few years before moving on to um, flying corporate in India. Uh, everybody, enjoy this interview. You have how many hours in the Pilatus? Uh, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd say well, around about three and a half thousand now. Okay, that's a lot uh, of time in one airplane. Yeah. So, yeah. And most of that, so how'd you get into aviation? Uh, funny story that. I, um, I, well, being from Australia, I went to mm. what was then the uh, Army um, Officer Training Establishment, which was the Royal Military College, Duntroon. Uh, nowadays, they have a, a tri-service one, which is called ADFA. But anyway, I went there and when I was uh, uh, 17. Uh, I had a, had a bit of an injury, sustained the injury, and um, the Army at the time weren't really looking to put a great deal of officers through to graduate them. So there was a, you know, a bit of pressure that, oh, well, you know, there was always a, there was a wastage rate mm. type thing there. And I thought, well, you know, I really didn't want to be um, in Ordnance Corps, although it's important. Yeah. Um, I, at the time, was fairly physical and liked to get out and do things. So I thought, well, what's a dishonest way of making a living? <laughs> Go flying. <laughs> so, so I investigated that a bit and... I had started. Uh, I was actually working about three jobs, put myself through it. Um, what were the opportunities at the time? So, like, how? Uh, how well, time, generally, how what happens in Australia, Australia is um, there's a lot of, uh, particularly my side of the country, which is Western Australia, it's a lot of mining, and there's a lot. It's a very large, large area. It's uh, around about a third the size of the continental mm. United States, so it's a very large area. And, Air transport is absolutely necessary. Yeah. Very few people, about two and a half million people spread over the size of a third of continental USA. That means you need to have a lot of flying going on. So there's a lot of fly-in, fly-out with mining, etc., etc. But at that particular time when I got my CPL, which was in 1984, um, I basically uh, was still working some work, looking for looking for some work. And I ended up going up, up in uh, 1985. I got in my, my car and drove up to the mm -hmm. top end of Western Australia. And my first job was flying a Cessna 152, this bashed and battered thing. The only, the only thing that worked in it, uh, in, uh, instrument-wise, was a, a, a compass. Yeah. And I made sure that the, the one little old engineer that we had had that swung properly. <laughs> And it was mapped to ground, you know. So wow. basically, it was there was nothing, no DG, no nothing. VSI would sometimes occasionally splutter yeah. into. Uh, so it was seat of the pants flying. Yeah, great stuff. Okay, what a young guy really should be doing. So that was when I was about twenty, and then I, I got a I quickly got a job flying a Cessna one eight two RG for okay. a, and a Cessna two hundred seven for a small charter company in a place called Kununurra which was where I'd been yeah. working for the vets. Interesting, just going back to the yeah. 152, that was in support of a veterinary program to eradicate brucellosis and tuberculosis in okay. Australia. So it was quite a successful that. campaign. Uh, it was interesting, interesting yeah. flying, finding some of these airstrips out in the middle of nowhere. Which... And we'll get into it. <laughs> so you, you, got, you discovered 
purposeful flying early on. Yeah, flying yeah, for, yeah. for a mission, flying for a purpose. Yeah, yeah. I I, I found that uh, I was uh, I wouldn't have said I was overly enthusiastic uh, in terms of you know it's a, a like a young guy going a long way, away, um, but it kind of you know it was kind of. My family and my friends were really like, wow, you're doing that. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's great. So kind of fast forward uh, a bit on that. Uh, I, uh, I worked till the end of 1985 until the, the wet season, what we call the wet season, which is the monsoon season, mm -hmm. northern part of Australia kicked in. And then I went... Uh, the, the company kind of contracted up all of it. They only kept the core pilots, and I, I was one of them. So I went back to Perth, spent the summer down, down in Perth, which is my home city. And then I applied for a job at a, a charter company up in Newman, which is a um, iron ore mining mm -hmm. town. So I worked there for a, uh, I worked there for a couple of years. Um, got a, got enough hours that I thought it was about time because I was only flying VFR mm -hmm. and I was flying up to a three ten uh, Cessna three ten R, which is pretty good, yeah. you know, young guy yeah. flying without an instrument rating. Um, and so I thought, well, I better go and get an instrument rating. So then I headed back up north to the Northern Territory um, to Darwin, did my instrument rating there, yeah. got a job with a charter company there. My first posting was out in an Aboriginal community where I lived wow. with my soon to be wife um, and uh, we stayed there for not not that long probably about only about eight months yeah. and then um, uh, I, I liked the company that I was working for and I, I liked the guy that I was working for but I said look you know have you got a job in in in, in Darwin because my wife's pregnant and you know etc etc he yeah. said no I don't and I said well look I, okay I understand um, so I Got a job with with a company that's still in existence today uh, in in the Northern Territory, and although albeit it's different ownership and different business now, uh, called Air North. And Air North at the time were conducting uh, a lot of charter and what they called at the time low capacity RPTs: Cessna 310, Cessna 402, Cessna 404. 441 mm -hmm. uh, scheduled services. Oh, okay, that was fantastic. Yeah. And we worked our butts off, okay, seriously. Uh, when I left there, uh, I had done 871 logbook <laughs> hours, and it's all single yeah. pilot. You write tickets, you, you throw the mail bags, you take the baggage on and off, you've got animals yeah. in cages, you've got people trying to squib you on the this tickets. Is like and, Alaska bush flying Yeah. Style. Very much so. I do realise that flying in Australia to the rest of us is like something exotic where yeah. it's, it's either a bucket list item or, or like me, I would pay for a vacation to Australia to go do this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah, doing it for yeah, a job. Yeah, yeah that's because you're an aviation <laughs> junkie. Yeah. yeah. But it was hot, sweaty, <laughs> hard work. And I tell you what, I didn't put too many pounds on when I was yeah. at that age. So, And then... Uh, that company, unfortunately, they, they had a parent company that were a, a mining company. And the parent company, in spite of the fact that we were making good profit, we were doing pretty well, mm -hmm. they decided they were going to churn, churn the aeroplanes into mining equipment as assets. Yeah. 
and the writing was on the wall. Um, so I uh, decided to go back to the other company that I'd worked for, that where I'd been remotely based at Man and Greeter in, uh, in Arnhem Land. Uh, but I, because I had plenty of experience there, you know, I'd been flying mm. sort of four, four, one down. I was flying chieftains and stuff and was a training and check captain with them. So at that point in time, I, I worked for them for a good two and a half years, though. Good, not like the owner. You know, he was a crusty old guy and said it as it yeah. was. You know, fantastic old, old, old guy. Uh, anyway, Aussie Oz, Osgood was his nickname. <laughs> It was his name, but uh, Ozzy wasn't, the, wasn't his, his real name, but uh, everyone called him Ozzy Osborne. And he was, you know, this was in the days when he, he'd chat, chat down the predecessor of Cassidy, kick him out of a hangar and all this sort of stuff. He, had a, he was a great guy, really good personality. But uh, the money's not real great flying around in your chieftain and, yeah. uh, and the career prospects on our young family. So there's two options for me. Go to airline or stay in GA but go to something that's a bit more secure. There were some secure companies around that were paying down, one of which was the Flying Doctor Service. Mm-hmm. And the Flying Doctor Service had a very good reputation and uh, deservedly so. Yeah. Uh, fantastic organisation. So I went there thinking I had won the jackpot yeah. in, you know, in aviation because good equipment, you know, that paid you pretty pretty well, gave you a house, looked after you. And for a, 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 a young guy, relatively young, uh, uh, with uh, a small family, you know, just the best. So I went in with the, uh, the boggy there and kind of learnt the ropes. And, yeah. Uh, RFS. Uh, uh, so a lot of people uh, okay. know about them. Let, 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 me, let me give you a bit of background. So because yeah, it's so a flying, very special. We're all flying doctor service essentially um, commenced operations in a, I suppose, a, a, a way in 1928. There's a fellow by the name of uh, John Flynn, who Reverend Flynn, and he was uh, instrumental in uh, having a vision that uh, people in the bush wouldn't suffer because people in the city yeah. don't. And part of that was uh, he teamed up with what was then the fledgling or predecessor to Qantas, okay? Okay. So they, they had a, their first run was in a, oh, I can't remember what it was, but it was a, one of those, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I, and they leased him an airplane, right? Yeah, they did, yeah. and they gave him a pilot, and, and that's where that's where it came from. And of course, over the years, that that model of retrieving people that were in need, taking them to a hospital, uh, enhanced. And it, 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 it's when I left the organisation in two thousand and eight, the end of two thousand and eight. It had got to the point where there were around about 60 to 70, and I couldn't be sure exactly now, uh, aircraft that mm-hmm. the Flying Doctor Service Australia-wide had. Mostly they were multi-turbine. Um, in fact, they were all multi-turbine when I left, uh, except for the Pilatus fleet. Yeah. And the Pilatus fleet's pretty sizable. Like, like King Airs, right? Because yeah. I know they're getting new... 350s. So yeah, I got 360s. 360s, yeah. 360s now, yeah. <clears throat> 
Uh, my uh, knowledge from, aside from my friends, feedback from my friends, uh, my uh, one couple, still got a couple of friends that work there. Uh, in Western Australia section, because of the size of the country, they've, they've gone a little bit of a different way. They have a, a backbone fleet of uh, PC-12s, um, 47s and NGXs. Mm. Uh, 47E, I mean the NGs and the NGXs. Um, uh, I'm not sure how many they have now. And they also have uh, three uh, PC-24s. Okay. You know, one of the issues that we always had, and, uh, and I'll, I'll just take a step, I'll just digress slightly there. Uh, I, I ended up being the Deputy Chief Pilot for the Flying Doctor Service in Western Australia, yeah. and Chief Pilot um, approved and a delegate to CASA and all of the sorts of things. And, you know, you carry around a bag full of qualifications yeah. associated <laughs> with all that, which was a wonderful, yeah. wonderful thing. Well, from my viewpoint, that's admirable. I mean, yeah. it's, it's arguably one of the most, uh, you know, humanitarian and benevolent organizations in aviation mm. known worldwide. And tough, tough work. Yeah. Let me tell you, that is the toughest job. Single pilot, aeromed, day, night, all weather. It's tough. Not a lot of infrastructure either, right? Until no. GPSs came around and we had, you know, yeah. at least... I don't know if some of the airfields have GPS approaches or anything like that, but when we were talking about a couple of days ago, how I, I think for anybody that outside of Australia, it's hard to comprehend the, the vastness. Yeah, I can, I can give you a bit of, a bit of an idea <laughs> of how vast it is and how sparse the infrastructure is. So you're talking about about the th third of the continental USA landmass with about 750 airstrips, yeah. and they range from you you you. Uh, cow cocky or, or outback farmers, yeah. you know, airstrip that lands is 152 on to a capital city yeah. airport. So uh, I used to manage the database, um, so I'm fairly aware of, of that aspect of things. And we were quite unique just in that one respect alone before I'd left, a couple of years before I... Uh, yeah, a couple of years before I left... What we've done is we've negotiated with Honeywell hmm. um, and Jefferson to include all those airstrips in our onboard Garmin GPSs that were yeah. in, the, in the PC-12 and also the uh, the King Airs, yeah. although the King Airs went. Um, and with the, on, the, on the understanding that uh, we reported a certain format to them hmm. and surveyed it a certain way, and they accepted that, and they included it as a, uh, a ring-fenced yeah. uh, database that they would provide us to load up into the up into. And that's military-level stuff, where you're stuff. doing your own survey that a company is yeah. putting out there for the rest of the public. Yeah. What were some of these airstrips like? So you said so. Capital City airports, mm, we get it yeah. right. So. Well, I could tell you, I could tell you that they range from sort of an airport where there's no lighting. Dirt strip, gravel strip, yeah. uh, maybe you know, if you're lucky, thousand meters long. No lighting. You're tasked to go in there at night. How do you, how do you land at night? Well, I can tell you how I've landed at night on a thousand meter airstrip in a in a PC12. Uh, we we're used to brief the landowner or the station owner uh, of what was required. 
they actually had a plan of how to lay out a flare path. And we would provide them with the flares. If they did not have the flares, the default situation would be you burn whatever you need. You put it at either end, on either side of the runway, wow. or halfway in the middle, and you burn it. And it could be a tyre, it could be whatever. And you could be landing on that, and that is a true story. Okay. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. You know? um, a lot of uh, the flare, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a flare pot. It's like a, it's like a round grenade with a, mm. with a lump at the top of it. You fill it up with kerosene, it has a wick in it and burns and they sit it in a hole on the side of, side of the runway. So they could go and space it down like that. The other alternatives are we land on roads regularly. Mm -hmm. I mean, we gazetted public roads, so like the Finnish Air Force yeah. does, and, you know, basically the same deal. Yeah. Now, in Western Australia, the average uh, single lane each way is 9.8 metres across. Okay. You get pretty good holding centre line, as you probably yeah. noticed. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't wander off centre line too yeah. much. Um, so, uh, yeah. We, the, the way that we trained pilots was doing hmm. in the airport. We didn't have a sim. We would go out and do it. And we would have someone on the ground who would put out various <laughs> parts. Now, landing on, on the roads, that's an interesting thing because some in, the, in different parts of uh, Western Australia, there's different setups. And for instance, in uh, the area that runs from Perth, uh, in sort of a straight line across via Adelaide to Melbourne, um, uh, it's called the Nullarbor. Um, in the Western Australian part of it, in Nullarbor, uh, one of the sections before amalgamation of the uh, three sections in, in Western Australia occurred was uh, called Eastern Goldfield section. They had a different setup. So what they would do is they'd put in, they'd put four flares so that you could find the airstrip, go on, and everything was timed at night. It's all IFR, okay? You fly over centre of the runway, you time 10 seconds outbound, rate one turn <laughs> to downwind, obeying the, the touchdown zone, yeah. drop the gear, time 15 seconds, head, head in the cockpit, you don't look out because you can't afford vertigo in a black yeah. hole, straight back in or on the autopilot, which is probably the safer way yeah. of doing it. After 15 seconds, autopilot off, make a rate one turn, descending turn, and mid-base, then you look out, Jeez. okay? Now, in their case, what you do is you line up first flare on the left-hand side of the, the approach end of the runway with the last flare on the opposite okay. side of the runway, okay? And you take your cue from that to turn on to final. And they had a series of reflectorized plates. And what those plates did was were, were, were they were put down the side of the yeah, runway. Like and when you got to 300 feet above ground level, the landing lights of the aeroplane pick up the reflectorized plates, and you might as well have been at an international airport. Just this is genius, ingenious. Stuff. So, and these are so I've never heard of anything like that. So all just locally developed over yeah. the years, yeah, by just your experience mm. by the RFDS. And different sections yeah. develop different doctrines, very interesting. Yeah, because it's very different and, geography and, and, they, and they, weather. And they still they still <coughs> use that today. Uh, 
when I, was, I, I, I lived up in the northwest of the, the country, and uh, we, we, when we did road landings, we had, we had the lamps. Yeah. Okay, so you know the, the lamps that you see on the side of the road that they light up um, when they're doing road construction. That mm-hmm. kind of thing. So that's what we used, or we used the the flare pots. Yeah. Okay. They just, when I left there, they were just starting to get into the um, thing of putting, putting, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. And, and having having the battery pack, pack yeah. LED lights and stuff like that. One of the problems with the LED lights at night is it it, it, it uh, destroys your night vision. Yeah, it's almost too bright, isn't it? It is, oh. okay. Incandescent bulbs don't. Um, and uh, so uh, very interesting techniques involve time, time turns, you put the, put the gear down at exactly yeah. that point, time from that point, this and that. This is all military kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. We had quite a few military manoeuvres actually, that, including cloud break procedure in the PC-12 that I mentioned yeah. earlier, but I won't go into that now. <laughs> but overall, a fantastic yeah. organisation. I can't speak more highly of the, of the, 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 the pilots and the engineering staff there. You cannot push 1,800 hours into a Pilatus PC-12 a year without there being a lot of dedicated people, good organisation. We used to have, when I was senior, we had Friday morning prayers, I used to call them, and the English who served in the military probably know what that means. Um, And uh, we'd have a half-hour meeting where we covered everything. We did... Yeah, the pilot stuff. We did the nursing stuff. We did the medical, um, the doctors, the medical um, staff stuff. We did uh, corporate, and it ranged from uh, and, and, and engineering, of course. Uh, you know, they're wonderful. Those mm-hmm. guys, just wonderful. Um, and uh, it would range, and the way it would structure is each group would say what was programmed, uh, what was done last week what the program for the upcoming week was and then personnel matters. Yeah. Okay. And they, you each had a like a six, seven minute window. Minute it yeah. sent out, everyone was on the program. Discover the pioneers of speed and adventure at one of the UK's most iconic museums. Whether it's a tour of the legendary Concorde, a walk around the Brooklyn's aircraft factory, or maybe a behind-the-scenes look at the McLaren automotive cars, the Brooklyn's Museum has it all. Based at Weybridge in Surrey, it's the perfect day out for all the family. We can also host your private function or meeting in one of our amazing event suites. With so much to see and do, come and take a look at Great Britain's history of speed and flight. Find out more by going to www.brooklandsmuseum.com or give us a call on 01932 857 381. That's 01932 857 381. Well, what a phenomenal uh, twenty-three minutes that was! My goodness me! The, Cast uh, your minds back, mind back, Nev. We, we were saying what we were while we were watching that um, back to where, years ago. I used to watch it with my mum. The uh, the Flying Doctors series on uh, was it BBC One? I think it was on. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, fascinating. Well, uh, yeah, the the challenging flying that goes with that is just phenomenal, isn't it? And uh, well, there's more to come. We've got another part two coming up next week. 
uh, that Armando's done. And uh, yeah, it, well, I mean, <clears throat> you always think when I, think they, 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 what, on, I was going to say when you when you're flying somewhere like in the in the US, you've got loads of stuff. You've got loads of big. Uh, cities and places and big villages or big areas of built up places and buildings whereas uh, you know having not been to Australia but you, when you see it on TV you, you've just got just nothingness for miles yeah. and also the responsibility of, of getting in I, I was nearly said to the airfield I, I mean mm. to the, <laughs> the the bit of dirt that you'll be landing on um, especially if you've got you know important medical supplies on board or you know you've, you're taking a casualty somewhere there must be a lot of pressure on the operating captain to uh, to make sure that they get in but obviously if it's if the weather's below you know acceptable minima for example that that must be difficult mustn't it so um, I think Amanda's going to talk to Stuart about that in, in the next part actually so uh, yes. yeah looking forward to hearing more about that Brilliant. Yeah, some Absolutely some good uh, some good good uh, notes in the chat room about that. So people, yeah, I think people enjoyed that one. Nev. Yeah, very I think much. Our so. lovely listeners enjoyed that. Yep. Right. Excellent. So Nev, what's uh, up next on the show? Oh, we've got a, a caption. This uh, just for fun. Uh, no, no prizes for any of this at all. Uh, but we we have had some very amusing. Uh, I'll, I'll pop it up on the screen. Here we go. Let's do that. Yes. And uh, well, let's describe it first of all. It's a uh, what's that? Cessna one fifty. I think it? it's or, a one fifty. Yeah. One fifty. Oh, with a couple of bicycles on the top. Um, <laughs> so obviously this has given us the opportunity for comedy. Um, let's start off, shall we? Uh, John says, wife to husband. Yes, I know you've brought the bikes, but do you have to wear Lycra to fly in it? <laughs> Stuart says uh, he'd heard that talking, uh, that he, he'd heard that taking his bike to work would help save the environment. Uh -huh. uh, Chris says, this is our new uh, all-electric aeroplane. As the standards require, we have redundant backup power supply on board. Good one. Uh, Stuart says uh, the Lisa, oh lesser spotted Bo a British, <laughs> the lesser spotted British tourist on a UK bank holiday. Oh, that's true enough, isn't it? Uh, Jenny says just in case mm -hmm. question mark. Question yeah. Mark. Uh, David says uh, we are just winging it, our cycling holiday. No. Uh, Stuart says, <laughs> oh heck, that's not what he really says. Oh heck, <laughs> where's the roof box? Like it. And Bill says the UK based aircraft modifier revealed its new design on the same day that Liz Truss became PM with the following statement We guarantee our design will be just as successful and long lived as the new PM. Well, we know they didn't last long, oh, did we, Ned? Bill, you are naughty. But it's a great comment, though. Absolutely superb. Um, Simon says it's not about the age of a plane necessarily; it's mostly about the cycles it's had, and this one's only had two. You see what I did there? I like that. And this is my personal favourite for me from Sean, who says Peloton are getting desperate. Thumbs ah. <laughs> up, nice, I have to it? say, I did enjoy that one. Yeah, uh, but uh, let's have Good a one. let's have a quick look in the chat room, see if we've had in. Uh, any, yes, we, any, we any comments in the chat room, Nev? Let's have a look. Um, Richard Adams says, tandem seating. Uh, Captain Crew says, gives new meaning to Cessna Caravan. Uh, Dirk S, Flying Dutchman. Flying Dutchman. Very uh, good. Another one from uh, Richard. Uh, up there, you can often drive five to six hours without seeing another car. <laughs> 
Oh, actually, that was, that was in reference to the previous interview. I said, I would imagine. Um, not, not. Uh, oh, maybe it Mind is. You, it fits in, fits in well with that. Yeah, to be fair, it could, it could apply to both, really, couldn't but, it? Yeah. Uh, no, thank you for everyone who uh, commented on that. It's back. It's going to be back this week, and it's had a bit of a hiatus uh, as the caption this. Uh, but yeah. it'll be back next week in full effect uh, with uh, another fresh picture on our Facebook page. So if you don't already follow us on Facebook, don't forget to go and check us out on Facebook, Plain Talking UK. And on Wednesday, I'll be popping up another picture on there for you all to leave your humorous comments on for us to uh, to talk about on the show. So I suppose uh, it's uh, it's that time, isn't it, Nev? It's that your favourite time again, isn't it, Nev? Would you like it's to? It's you and me doing the military. Would you like some... to introduce your uh, your favourite part of the show, Nev? Oh, well, I, I'm impressed that uh, Armando has allowed us to do some of the military. Um, so you must have some trust in us. But uh, it's time for the military, ladies and gentlemen. Off we go. Is a little bit of an update from the Russia Ukraine conflict. And the story is from KyivPost.com. Now, news came out this week that Ukrainian commandos blew up three helicopter gunships at a Russian military airfield close to the Latvian border in what is considered one of the most spectacular behind-the-scenes raids launched by either side since the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine war. Now, this was confirmed by multiple sources on Tuesday, November 1st. The main intelligence directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine said in a Monday, October 31st statement that the attack took place at the Russian army's Veretia airbase in northwestern Skov uh, region. The facility is more than 500 kilometers as the missile flies from Ukraine to the south and some 110 kilometers from NATO member Latvia to the east. Now, two KA-52 attack helicopters were destroyed completely and a third was badly damaged by detonation charges placed by Ukrainian operatives that infiltrated in and out of the site without being detected. That's according to the GUR statement. Now, Russian security teams subsequently found a fourth helicopter rigged with explosives that had not gone off, according to some news reports. Now, as we know, some of these special operations missions take a lot of planning and a lot of support from uh, different sectors of the military. But to conduct any military operation deep inside enemy lines is uh, a very significant accomplishment, especially for the special forces of Ukraine. Now, militarily, will this have a big impact? Uh, probably not. But as we know from many, many conflicts before, um, having a small uh, victory that is more of a psychological a propaganda uh, victory and just a, a sort of a demonstration and a show of force that they can go behind enemy lines to uh, execute an attack like this is is pretty significant. So well done to the Ukrainian uh, special commandos. Thank you for that, Armando. That makes you ask a question, I suppose, Nev, is when, when is this all going to be over? 
Uh, <clears throat> I've just got the feeling it's going to drag on mm. for some time. Uh, there's this every week, well, every day almost, new things are happening there. Uh, very unpredictable what, what's going to be happening. So, um, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll be talking about this for uh, many, many weeks and months, sadly. Um, so, but uh, yeah, great that uh, Armando is doing some reporting for us and uh, yes. keeping us uh, up to date with the latest news. So this next one comes to us from Military Dot Air Africa, and uh, it's all about. Uh, it's not all about new aircraft for the commercial uh, commercial kind of side. It's uh, in the military side here. Fifty five new aircraft to beef up Nigeria's air power. So the Nigerian Air Force is set to receive fifty five brand new aircraft of varying types from manufacturers across the world as parts of efforts towards strengthening Nigeria's security posture. Deliveries for these aircraft will begin in December 2022, that's this year, and continue on into next year, which represents one of Nigeria's largest acquisitions haul in over several decades. The new aircraft will add to those already de uh, delivered since 2015, and Nigeria is currently facing several security challenges, including an insurgency in the northeast, which has entered its 12th year, as well as bandits, separat uh, separatists and kidnappings as well. Air Chief... Blimey, did you hear that bang outside? Uh, yes, what was that? Was that fireworks so going on outside here, my word. It's all <laughs> kicking off. Alfie's now going mad downstairs. Anyway, yeah. the Chief of Air Staff, Air Marshal Izaka Amau, said on Thursday, disclosed that the Nigerian Air Force would take delivery of additional fighter helicopters in December this year, while other new acquisitions would be delivered in 2023. The aircraft comprise of six T129 attack helicopters, 12 Bell aircraft, four Diamond DA62, two Airbus C295 medium tactical transport aircraft, and two Augusta Westland 109 Trekker helicopters, and also two Beechcraft King Air 360 ISR aircraft, as well as a replacement for two other King Air 350 that crashed back in 2020. And three Three more Wing Long 2 unmanned combat aerial vehicles. Ooh, can't go without your uh, Wing Long 2s, eh, Nev? No. Uh, the combat aircraft are expected to replace aging Alpha jets of the Nigerian Air Force, and Leonardo will provide aircraft training to support munitions for Nigeria as part of a sole source. Uh, for combat support, the Air Force has selected Beechcraft King Air 360Is and DA-62s for its ISR requirements, and the value of the deal of the two Beechcraft uh, aircraft is around 24 million uh, US dollars. Oh, is that no? Is that billion? Is that 24 that's billion? 24 billion. That's 24 yeah. billion. Sorry, my words. That's quite a lot. 24 yeah. billion uh, US dollars, which includes spares and ground support equipment. Uh, its completion time frame was undisclosed, but nevertheless, the Beechcraft King Air 360, Diamond DA-62s and other ISR platforms will support National Forces missions in the West African region. God, they've certainly got a few quid lying around, Nev. Yes. And, On Nigeria? Uh, as Richard Adams says in the chat room, that noise was very appropriate for the military section. It was. It? It's, it is all happening outside here. I'm more than worried about uh, my little cat at the minute because she's outside i expect and uh, i forgot oh to lock, yeah of course. i forgot to lock the cat flat but anyway Ooh. moving on nev uh you've got the next one all about uh, the uh, a pilotless black hawk mm. 
This is on flightglobal.com, um, and it says that an experiment conducted by the Pentagon's Secretive Weapons Development Office, known as the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, which is called DARPA, a modified Sikorsky UH-60 Black Hawk successfully flew three simulated missions without a pilot. DARPA and Sikorsky said on the 2nd of November that they completed three autonomous Black Hawk flights in October at Yuma. Uh, proving grounds in Arizona. Uh, the goal of the effort, Young says, is to give commanders more flexibility in the face of constraints like mandatory crew rest, casualties, or battlefield hazards. We can go down. We can go to one pilot where you may not have enough pilots for some missions, or we can go down to no pilot. Uh, DARPA says that October alias test included three missions: a battlefield resupply of blood a casualty evacuation and a sling load with cargo suspended below the aircraft for transport. In a combat environment, the casualty evacuations and troop resupply missions are often some of the riskiest flight missions called for when friendly ground forces are under fire and may not have access to safe landing zones. Sikorsky, who builds the UH-60 Black Hawk used in the experiment, also developed the flight control software to enable pilotless operations, which the company calls Matrix. Matrix was first flown without pilots aboard in a February 2022 alias test event. During two flights, a Matrix-powered UH-60 performed simple aerial manoeuvres and navigated in a simulated New York skyline. Well, that seems to be a real benefit, isn't it? You know, if you're trying to do uh, crew resupply, um, you know, and, and troop resupply and this sort of stuff. Uh, not putting other people at risk by going into the zone by using autonomous stuff like this is is clearly the way forward, isn't it? Pilotless, I think, is probably the is is a good way forward. Like you said, Nev, in in that um, <laughs> obviously pilotless, you're not going to have the issue of um, of losing people because we don't obviously we hate to lose our our service women and service men across the the uh, globe. It's good to have uh, this kind of option available to uh, to prevent uh, any loss of life but um pilotless aircraft still does um yeah makes me wonder nev mm, yeah absolutely yeah. so next story comes to us from armando so over to you now guys i'm always really excited to talk about uh, vintage aviation and this is a, a bit of a museum update for some of those warbirds that are around the world um, so the first one is from warbirdnews.com in august um, we talked about this the vulcan to the sky trust announced that their lease at doncaster sheffield airport would not be renewed and that they would have to leave the site by the end of june 2023 now since early spring of this year the trust has been exploring options of moving uh, the the vulcan xh558 from doncaster the Vulcan flew into the airport during March 2011 with VTST or Vulcan to the Sky Trust, believing that the old Aria Finningley would become her permanent home as defined in the plans for the Vulcan experience, as they were calling it. So sadly, the funding appeal failed. The organization then had to work hard to secure a new and permanent home for both XH558 and the English Electric Canberra. Uh, whiskey kilo 163 now some of the sites that they looked at are some distance from doncaster this relocation effort will obviously bring some significant challenges 
there are outcomes in which VTST leadership believes that the organization can actually deliver. Now, they talked to the CAA about the possibility of a short ferry flight for XH-558, but they now believe that is uh, not possible. The advice was that legally the trust would need to appoint a design authority to assess, then oversee the restoration to flight work, and without a DA, no application could be considered. A VTST approached three companies to look at feasibility, timeline costs, and to date one has declined to support and the two other organizations have not responded to the contract for this work. Informal research also indicated that the insurance for such a flight would be prohibitively expensive. So we'll keep an eye out to see what's going to happen with these uh, with these two aircraft. Now, the next one is a little bit of uh, it's an uh, a Duxford uh, update after five years of painstaking work by the conservation team at the Imperial War Museum in Duxford, the Hanley Page Victor uh, XH648 is now complete and on permanent display within the museum's conservation hall. Now, last week, the Imperial War Museum invited a number of RAF Victor veterans to Duxford for the unveiling. Uh, the jet pirate strategic bomber, which was responsible for carrying an atomic bomb as part of Britain's nuclear deterrent during the Cold War of the 1960s and the 1970s has undergone a meticulous full-scale restoration which be began in late 2016. Uh, XH-648 is the only remain remaining Hanley Page Victor aircraft of its kind in the world, and after five years of restoration, it's now complete, one of the longest and largest conservation projects ever undertaken at IWM uh, Duxford. Now, lastly, we also talked about a F-117 that was going to Palm Springs Air Museum. Now that museum is set to unveil their newly refurbished F-117A Nighthawk, uh, serial number 85-0833, in a special ceremony which begins at 1 p.m. on Saturday, November 12th, 2022. This charismatic, as they're calling it, stealth fighter is on permanent loan from the National Museum of the United States Air Force in Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. When Major General Greg Beast Feast, uh, retired, uh, will attend the event as the uh, special guest of honor. Uh, Beast was the first pilot to drop bombs from the F-117 in combat during both Operation Just Cause in Panama and Operation Desert Storm in Iraq um, in 1991. The museum's F-117A will bear his name and wear the colors of the U.S. Air Force's 415th Tactical Fighter Squadron when uh, based at the highly secretive Tonopah Test Range deep in the Nevada desert. Now, the museum vice chairman, Fred Bell, will make a brief statement about the importance of the aircraft to education in the fields of science and technology. Now, this was one of only 59 aircraft produced. Now, this F-117, which typically appears in an all-black finish, arrived with an aluminum-colored exterior. This was due to its radar-absorbent material having been removed, as you can imagine, as part of the U.S. Air Force's demilitarization process. Now, this particular airframe, nicknamed the Black Devil, logged some 5,100 flight hours during its military career, and it took part in numerous combat operations. Mm. 
Thank you, Armando. <laughs> There's me pressing the wrong button there, Nev. You noticed the slight pause there? Yeah, I noticed the slight pause. That, that was yeah. my fault. Uh, I was all fingers and thumbs there. Yeah. Matt, Matt does it so seamlessly. Yeah, absolutely. But we, we, me and Nev were just saying there, we, um, obviously XH558, I've, I've, I've um, heard that that's not looking too sharp these days anyway. It's been uh, let go a, a bit. And also, um, I'm glad to hear that, uh, obviously, they've got that handy page, Victor, going to be at, and I was obviously at Duxford yes. ready to look at. So that's an excuse for me to uh, take a trip over to Duxford ASAP. So mm. um, keep your eyes on social media. I'll let you know when I'm going there. It'll probably be a Sunday, ex- I expect. Um, try and arrange a meet-up if anyone is close yeah. close to Duxford. We'll, um, we'll go and have a little meet-up over at Duxford on a Sunday before Christmas, hopefully. Oh, yes. So, uh, Nev, what is uh, next up on the show? Well, you remember we've been playing out a lot of interviews that we did at Jersey uh, for the air display there, which was absolutely superb. Couldn't have gone better. One thing we haven't shown you, though, is any aircraft yet, <laughs> apart from the uh, the OV-10 Bronco that um, uh, Carlos went on over at the airport there. So why don't we run this bit of uh, video, Carlos, and we'll we'll talk you through it. Um, okay. we, when you're doing video at air shows, I find it quite difficult, to be honest with you. So uh, it, this is a highly edited version of what actually happened. But there's some fascinating stuff here. And as you can see, the, the weather actually cleared beautifully for the display itself, um, considering that there was a lot of questions about whether... <laughs> whether it was actually going to go ahead at all at one point. Um, but um, got some nice shots there of some of your favourite aircraft. Um, and actually the aircraft that were displayed in the end, because a few had some technical problems, and you'll see some of these in the video, is the Pit Special, uh, the OV-10 Bronco, the S260, the Catalina, uh, F4U Corsair, uh, Flamant, the two of them, uh, Team Raven, the Mustang, and the Rafat, so um, you'll be seeing some of these in this video. Um, but Carlos, with his excellent stills camera, is going to put some of the shots yes. that he took onto the Facebook website. So that will be worth having a look at, because the quality of photography that you've done is phenomenal. Carlos. It's oh, really good, have. isn't it? I've got some good pictures. This, yeah. this, this trip, yeah, yeah. But it was a shame that the, shame the Reds was, didn't have a full display team this year, though, Nev. No, indeed, yeah. Uh, but um, but I, I, it's just quite difficult to follow these, I must say, because you... you done well, Nev. <laughs> you done well, considering. <laughs> these are the edited highlights, I have to say, because there was a few shots that were just unusable, because <laughs> I couldn't keep the camera still for long enough. But... Um, uh, um, so no, but it was uh, as you can see the, the weather was just about right in the end. And thank it, goodness it, it cleared was. up very nicely in the afternoon. And uh, there's Micah's favourite uh, on the uh, on the screen now. Uncle Michael would uh, he's not in the chat room, I don't think, but he will appreciate uh, these pictures. Yeah. Of the Catalina flying. Boat. See, I like stuff that flies slowly uh, from a video point of view because it's a lot easier to follow it. Uh, <laughs> but the stuff that was whizzing through the air was uh, was quite tricky, I have to say. Yeah, it's good to see. Good to see the Catalina from Duxford. Yes, uh, it's good to see them. Yeah. Now next year we've already booked our hotel. For we next have. Year, yes. For and we've booked some flights, and I haven't yet booked a hire car, but. Uh, next year we're going to stay at the Radisson Blue Hotel which is just to the uh, 
sort of westerly part of uh, where they display. So we'll be able to get a fantastic view from there as well, which would be nice. Um, so, um, yeah, looking forward to doing that again. Yeah, so if any of our listeners uh, are thinking about planning their air show visits for next year and uh, wondering, you know, what can I do next year? If you uh, go online now, there are some cheap flights, actually, if you look online, over mm. to Jersey from the UK. It would be great to see some of our US listeners over there. If you if you could make the massive trek uh, across to Jersey, a few connecting flights would probably be needed to make that journey. Well, but from one Jersey to another. From maybe. one Jersey to another, exactly. Yeah be good to see you over there the uh, dates are on the uh, the jersey air show uh, facebook page if you check them out on uh, facebook jersey air show the dates are already on there for next year's show like i said me and nev uh, are going to be there all it's all booked we're ready to uh, ready to go for next year it's going to be a good uh, another good weekend hopefully of uh, air show or weekday of air show fun um so yeah it'd be good to see you there if you've uh, got any ideas that you might want to come out to jersey next year and see us make sure you let us know send us an email uh, so we can make sure that we uh, obviously meet up with you for that obligatory evening meal nev oh yes very important um but uh, just got to say once again to the folks at uh, jersey that made all this possible for us uh they could not have been more hospitable uh the organizers the folks that we met we made we've made some really good friends out there um, and uh, to be honest with you, when we got there, we weren't quite sure what we we're going to be able to do. But um, I'm really delighted with the way we were received. And, mm. Yeah, well. yeah, that was very. We've very actually good. got one more uh, interview to play out, actually. Oh, have we? Perhaps we'll do next week. Yeah, one that I hadn't hadn't entirely forgotten about. But um, we've got a small interview to play out. Just a couple of minutes. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that was Jersey Air Show. Well, sorry, Jersey International Air Display 2022. 2022, yes. And yes, Richard Adams, that was Miss Pickup, um, as in the, the Catalina PBY. Uh, the, it's called Miss Pickup, anyway, on the, uh, on the side. Oh, page. yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it's time to wrap up soon, but we have got our first oh, in a yes. very long time series of uh, of competitions to win a book now we've got uh, many books to give away some very 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 good books to give away aviation related books obviously uh, now nev what is this first book we're going to give away because obviously this is uh, going on following on from our series that we've just uh, finished last week didn't we yeah, so what we're going to do uh, at the start of the month, uh, we're going to be giving away a book uh, and there'll be a competition uh, quiz question. Uh, this week, the book is Nine Lives by Chris Burwell. You will have seen the interviews that we, that uh, Nick very kindly did for us. Uh, we have a signed copy. Signed. It's signed as well, guys. It's signed as well. And I saw Chris do it himself, so I know that it's definitely him that signed it. And we have a question. And the question is, and you, you'll you'll know this if you've listened to the um, the podcast. But uh, the question is, when Chris left the RAF in 1999 to join a company called Cobham, he spent ten years there as a manager. Where in the UK was he based? 
So the question again, when Chris left the RAF in 1999 to join a company called Cobham, he spent 10 years there as a manager. Where in the UK was he based? And if you send your answers to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com, don't put it in the chat room because we won't, we'll ignore it basically. Uh, send it to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Yes, send us your answers there. We want to. Uh, we want you to win this book. Answers in that. Uh, in that. Uh, answers on a postcard. You say answers on a postcard years ago, but that's a bit different now, isn't it, Nev? Answers on an email. Well, yes, we've moved no, on. Haven't we've we? moved on. We've yeah. moved on. So your chance then to win that book, then uh, signed book uh, from Chris Burwell, and uh, let's hope. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll get some correct answers in, Nev. And the the, an- oh, yes. the, the answer is is honestly it's in the interview series if you've watched the interview series that we've been playing out here on the show it will be it will be on there don't worry don't worry so nev it's time to wrap up the show so uh social media links uh yes facebook twitter and instagram just search uh for plain talking uk that's where we are uh whatsapp number plus 44 757-2249166 you can also use that number if you want to enter the competition by sending us a text so that as well. That's plus 44-757-224-9166. Email the show, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And the website is all the W's, plaintalkinguk.com. And you'll see us on YouTube, of course, as well. Just search youtube.com and you'll and search for Plain Talking UK. On the website, there's an Amazon link. So if you do your shopping through Amazon, uh, you can use a link via our website. We get paid a small referral fee for that. You can become a patron as well. Details of how to do that are on the website also. Yes, that is how you do it. Easy as that. So hopefully uh, I've, I've managed to get everything working properly on here tonight. And have we had a slight tech hiccup at the beginning of the show because we don't have our obviously our vt clock but um we, well we you know it's, it's not the end of the world is it let's be honest no it's not the end of the world no, at all no. so that's all we've got time for guys and girls thanks to everyone who's tuned in to the show this evening thanks as well to all our audio downloaders of the show who listen to us each week via all the usual download realms if you've got two or three minutes spare in your time and you've not already done it if you could leave us a review on itunes uh, or podbean or stitcher where you leave the review things that would be really good to uh, have that and also we'd love to have some feedback from you so if you've not already got in touch with us at the show and to send us some feedback we'd love to hear from you all those details are on the website if you go on there all the w's dot plain talking uk.com go on there and find the details of how to send us an email so that's about it nev i'm going to leave you to uh close the show whilst i um well do the bit that Matt normally does. Work, work out how to do it, yes. <laughs> well, I shan't be here next week. I'm doing a lot of travelling around the UK. Um, I think my car will think I've shoved a drill up the speedo cable by the end of the week. We're doing a lot of travelling next week for work, so I shan't be on the show, unfortunately. But thank you very much to everyone for joining us, as always. And uh, have a great time. Bye for now. I'll keep going, Nev. I've still got to try and find... Oh, you haven't... So- oh, <laughs> seriously. Oh, dear, oh, dear. We'll have to edit this bit out, clearly. But uh, no, I really appreciate your uh, your time and uh, visiting our show, as always. And thanks to everybody in the chat room. It's been a great show again. Keep and going, Nev. Hope you have a great weekend. Keep, keep going, Nev. And we'll see, <laughs> we'll see you next week. But I shan't be here, as I say. But Matt will be back next week with Carlos. Can't find the closer. <laughs>
what has Matt done? No, what, what has Matt done with it? I can't. Perhaps find he's it um, put it in a special place that you can't find it. I've got everything on on this list here of stuff to click on, but none of them is the PTK closing credits. Oh, okay. Well, we can't <sighs> do it then, can we? We can't shut the show we'll down. Let's go on for another two hours. We're going to have to do a, uh, yeah. No, that's the opener. No. Well, the final, I'm sure you'll find it. The final a... one's not in here. Oh, I kid I'm you sure, not. I'm sure it's there somewhere. I'm sure it's there somewhere. I've got openers. I've got openers, but I can't find the um, the closing credits thing. A little bit of editing here to do. I think there is. Well, this is only at the end. Well, that is true, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> No, definitely can't. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to see if I can't... Um, let's see if I can find it here. Oh, it's going to be a long night, isn't keep, it? Keep everyone entertained, please, Nick. Well, I'm trying to. Um, what else have I done this week? Um, oh, yes. New carpet in part of the house. That's quite a challenge. Moving furniture around, especially when the furniture was built in the room and so you can't actually move it out of the room so we had two sofas that we literally had to take out through the french windows and put them in the garden so the guys could do the carpet today that was uh, that was hard work um definitely um and what else oh yes stockholm in the autumn very nice autumn winter as we are now uh, that was a beautiful experience uh, one of my favorite cities uh and honestly the air quality there is absolutely fantastic it, you definitely notice it if you've come from somewhere that's not scandinavia uh, it's, it's really you know really nice nice and pleasant plenty of sunshine and uh yeah great great flying great food food's always good in sweden uh not the cheapest place in the world but it's nice which is the main thing have you found the closing credits yet carlos i'm getting i'm getting there nev or have you just gone home <laughs> <laughs> i found it i found it oh, nev i found goodness. it right now if you could do if you can do the lead out again you know and i i gave apg <laughs> so much stick last week when we talked about overruns and we've been you know we've been doing three and a half minutes over the odds but uh, anyway thanks to everybody for joining this week have a great weekend bye for now <laughs>